Markets. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zoom delivering insights and dry shod boots, the official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast. Like normal, I've got Sean, ha- Sean Hackett here from Hackett Financial, and uh, we're going to talk about some markets and stuff we see going on out there. And Sean, there is plenty of stuff developing in uh, South America leading into this La Nina thing. Um, I'll tell you what, the, uh, the La Nina situation is. Uh, not letting up down there and it there is uh they this is the first week in a while that that the uh the brazilian usda um version of the usda did not retract some uh some bushels or something like that off the crop they have so the markets kind of fluctuated a little bit this week we're starting to see that volatility start to come back in not that that upward climb that we see but um it really looks like there's uh the situation is getting a little more serious than they want to admit. They're slow. You know, they're always conservative. And they always like to wait for January. Because um, once you get to January, the, the damage is kind of starts to become permanent. And then they can start to feel uh, that they can quantify it. And um, um, in December, there's, you know, it's, it's still a little early. There still could be recovery. Uh, December, January are the rainiest months of the year. So usually the, the USDA hesitates to make any adjustments, even though they probably should, until they get into January. So January would be the month where I would start to think, you know, the USDA report in January and February, they'll probably start to make more serious adjustments downward. They were resisted in this week's report because that's just the way they do it. They just prefer to kick the can down one more month and just make sure that um, – you know, the crops under under, uh, under duress, and that they they can have cover for that. So, so the markets you know, didn't really get what they wanted this week. Uh, they didn't really get the kind of knockdowns in U.S. supplies and in the crop in South America. And so they they went into the report up, and as you know, they kind of ended at least corn and soybeans ended flat to down after being up. And so, yeah, we're just kind of in pause mode right now. I think everyone's in pause mode. It's a year end. December, speculators are squaring positions. Um, we're getting a little spotty rain down there. It's just markets are struggling to find a reason why they should buy the markets here into Christmas time. And yeah. so it's just a period. You know what? I'm going away. I'm, I'm going to be on holiday. Let's just take some positions off and let's get back into January. We'll take another look at it. And that's kind of kind of typical, Casey. It's, it's a typically quiet period unless there's something really going on. And I don't see it right now. Right. I don't see it. Yeah. Yeah, it's fairly quiet right now. A lot of things in limbo. Um, in what, limbo. Yeah, we yeah. start looking at, at I mean, we, we kind of know who the president's going to be, but we're not for sure. <laughs> we kind of have a vaccine that's ready to go out, but we're not for sure. You know, there's all kinds of things that are fluctuating out there that have a big effect on the on the marketplace. We, we The market thinks stimulus is coming, but not exactly sure. Right. You know, there's a, there's yeah. a lot of this, yeah. this going yeah. on right now, and... Um, and it's just the holidays. I would just say, you know, we had a, it was a, it's a crazy year. We're all exhausted. Yeah. You know, th- you know, goodbye, 2020. I think everyone just just wants to yeah 
go away for the next few weeks and forget about it all. Yeah, the, so. the best thing about 2020 is it's almost over. That's, uh, <laughs> it's almost over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, back again to some some drought concerns in, in the wheat market. You know, Russia here is now, I'm reading an article here, that they are considering a 2,000 ruble uh, per metric ton export tax on uh, on wheat leaving leaving the country. So that's a big that's a big development when you start looking at one of the world the world's largest wheat producer and they start saying like, you know what, we're gonna pump the brakes on our exports. Well, you know, prices got very, very high. Right. Um yeah, the ruble's been sort of weak and so the prices got very high there and you know the domestic market uh is kind of putting pressure on them and saying, hey look, uh you know oof. You see, you keep exporting the, this wheat out. You know these prices are going to continue to escalate. So you know, this is not good for us. And then, of course, you know everyone knows it's the worst rated uh, Russian wheat crop in 30 years. Right. And it does not look like to us that that dry weather is going to go away. In fact, we think it's going to continue into the spring. And of course, you know, we're concerned that uh, the crop could have a, a winter kill event sometime here in uh, January. We think there's, a, there's you know conditions are getting more. Uh, ripe for that, and and so they just need to be, be be careful. They had a great crop last year, but you know they certainly need to keep some some wheat at home just in case this turns out to be a disaster. They don't want to sell all their wheat and then find out they don't have a wheat crop next year um, and get themselves into more trouble. So they're they're taking what I would consider to be a rational move, but it is a big move from the largest exporter in the world. So yep, yeah, you know I've been the Brexit thing. I keep it keeps popping up, and I, I haven't talked about it for a while. But that that is a uh, from a world economy standpoint, and and what it'll do to markets and those kind of things. There is a uh, they still haven't got that deal done yet, and they're still going back and forth on it, and they're still you know up. They just keep kind of put okay, away, well, cool. You know, I, we didn't get it done this week. Let's just push it out another three months, and then we'll. we'll kind of you know keep going <laughs> sooner or later they're gonna be just like either you're in or you're out you know and, and it's gonna have that that hard break that everyone's so scared of what's what's your thoughts on that as you kind of look around it and and the effect it's gonna have have and is having on the marketplace well the biggest impact would be if it, if, if, it, if if it ultimately turns out to be a hard break which it looks like eventually will yeah. be a hard break yeah um it would be temporarily strong the u.s dollar because you'd have a bunch of scared uh, traders and, and capital out there that will want, wants to want to flood to a safe currency, mm-hmm. and if they if if um, if Brexit blows up and, the, and and you get a euro concern, then money's going to leave the euro and it's going to look for safe harbors in the U.S. dollar short term. So I could see that triggering some kind of a bear market rally in the U.S. dollar into year end into January, and on the margin, you know, that would just push some speculators out of the uh, you know, U.S. traded markets and and give that correction more steam that we've been talking about might be likely here, especially at a time when the markets are less active and and the and the speculators want to actually lighten up positions into the year end. So that's how what I see. I think it, it could be a, a strong dollar rally potential. To give the markets a nudge to the downside um, short term, that would be the biggest impact that we see, and it would offer a buying opportunity. We, quite frankly, we're hoping it happens. Uh, yeah. yeah, we want end users, we want our livestock producers to get a chance to buy feed, and you know, you know, and and some farmers have made sales to you know get a chance to you know play the other side with uh, protecting those sales. So we're, you know, not that we wish lower prices for 
for us ag, but we, we actually are hoping we get a little more of a setback here because there, we, we want both sides to win here. And, and, the, and the, the buy side has obviously been on the wrong side for, since August. Right. And uh, we, we hope they get a shot to, to buy a break here. Right. So, on. yeah. Yeah. There's a, it's just a, it's a, it's a soap opera almost to watch that thing unfold. It's, it's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. It's, it's insane. But, uh, um, <laughs> that's the world we live in right now. Yep. So, yep. All right. So Chinese demand is something we talk about here a lot. Um, I've read several articles predicting next year to be anywhere from, I've heard 15 to 40% decline in, um, uh, U.S. To U.S. exports to China as far as hogs go, and we're kind of starting to see that a little bit. There's a lot of pressure on lean hogs right now when you start looking at at pricing and what you see there. So, what are your thoughts on that, and where do you see that that particular pork market going? Yeah, we're concerned. You know, we're concerned about the hog market in the U.S. We we we've we've had this massive massive demand for the last uh, eighteen months. It's allowed. Uh, the U.S. to get out of an oversupply situation that we were in, um, and and see some better prices, some profitable prices. But uh, yeah, I mean they're going to pull back. Doesn't mean they won't buy. Uh, actually, we still think they'll be historically pretty good buyers. But compared to where they were buying, they're going to back way off. Where's all that supply going to go? You know, who, who's going to? We were on the conversation before about the used equipment. Market. You know, who's going to buy all this extra pork supply? If they back away and, and not, you know, there's always a buyer at a certain price. We just don't think it'll be at this price, yeah. you know, yep. maybe at 50 cents, maybe at 40 cents, there'll be a buyer. We don't think there'll be a buyer at 70 cents. I mean, we just think it's a price problem and, and the, in the U S hog market's got a supply demand problem, especially in the, in the first half of the year. Now, maybe if we get the vaccines going and the global economy like really opens up again and we get some, some better economic activity and better demand, the second half of the year could be better. But we don't see that happening in the first half, and so we really worry about an air pocket here on U.S. demand for pork, especially from China. And, and so, you know, we're in our smart money algorithm that we follow is, uh, you know, the, the, the smart money is betting bearishly on the hog market right now when they were betting bullishly in the summertime. So we'd be cautious here. We think if you're in a hog business, boy, we sure would want to get my our first half supplies locked up here on the price side. We just think that's a good thing to do. Um, we just want to want to, you know, leave that open uh, to the downside. We just think it could get pretty ugly here potentially. And, um, you know, we think there's no reason for a hog producer to, uh, to not get their first half prices locked in right now. Right. Okay. So on the, on the flip side, on the beef market, the uh, box beef prices have been coming down dramatically. I mean, it's just been, been really been watching that over the week here, the last couple of weeks and just watching that, box beef price keep coming down which then affects the the cash prices as well um as you see out there on on fats and feeders so i guess as you look at those that that cattle marketplace where we saw an up uptick in price for a while now we're starting to see that retraction a little bit what's your thoughts there is that again all kind of coming back to what the economy is doing well look the majority of demand despite the fact that we've had some good exports china finally was buying usb for the first time in 10 years and all that sort of thing the predominant uh you know, demand factors, domestic demand for beef. And as much as the vaccine has brought us some, a lot of optimism, you know, based upon what, what I, you know, I mean, I'm looking at the announcements like everybody else, but it doesn't look like the rollout of the vaccine will really allow for a major uptick in the U.S. economy until probably later in the second quarter. So, so the first quarter looks difficult, you know, the current 
demand looks difficult. I mean, I, I see California closing down. I see New York locking down. You know, I see more areas locking down. I see more restrictions. That's not good for beef demand. It's not good for beef demand. And so the boxed beef uh, price is, is telling you that. On the flip side, though, we got a very friendly cattle on feed report that showed that our cattle on feed is, you know, way, way down from what it was expected to be. And that's going to mean that there's, there'll be less animals available for sale in the first half. So that helps mitigate it a little bit. Um, the other thing that I would um, talk about is that, you know, we usually import a lot of Australian beef for hamburger in the lower end of the meat market. And because, because of their epic drought that they had for the last couple of years, and because of the massive herd liquidation that occurred there, uh, they're in massive herd rebuilding mode there. Um, and they're retaining all these animals, and the price of cattle in Australia is going through the roof. So we're we're getting a lot less supply from Australia that we would normally be getting. That's also supportive to the market. So as much as I'm worried about demand, Casey, it, it really is a it, it really is a mix. It's a it's a mixed picture. It's not. I, I wouldn't call it a a bearish picture. I wouldn't call it a bullish picture. It's kind of a muddled picture. But I think the lack of imported beef from Australia and the the lower cattle on feed numbers, probably in aggregate that the U.S. demand will be good enough that it, could, it should probably will allow the, the cattle market to kind of grind, grind. I mean, you know, slowly grind higher, um, you know, into in, into spring, which is a typically a seasonal up period. But I wouldn't be looking for any fireworks here. I think it's going to be a, a real two steps forward, you know, one and a half steps back kind of market. Really, really not terribly exciting, but but. You know, we're, we're not as bearish on cattle as we are on hogs. We think cattle can kind of meander higher, but once again, wouldn't be looking for anything dramatic here. So, Two more things I want to hit on, and then we'll wrap it up here. One is um, you've written a lot of your, uh, your Hackett financial um, commodity uh, reports out here lately on coffee. And people listen to this that are in the, in the you know, corn and beans and cattle and stuff like that i'm wondering like why are we talking about coffee but coffee is one of those <laughs> things that has a it is a big indicator uh that leads into a lot of different stuff so talk about that coffee market for a minute well the reason why coffee is important is because um it's one of the largest exported uh markets in brazil oftentimes the co and, and coffee is one of the most sensitive markets to the brazilian real um i would argue you know it is the anti i mean you know it is one of the best measures of of the coffee market oftentimes will react either up or down before the real reacts up or down and so with when the, if the brazilian if the if the coffee price is starting to rally there, there's other factors there's weather there's other things but oftentimes and it means that the brazilian real is getting ready to you know to strengthen uh against the u.s dollar which is very very bullish for U.S. ag prices, U.S. grain prices. And so we we watch it not only because we're interested in coffee and we have a lot of customers that are interested in coffee, but we all, it's also a very, very good measure for the Brazilian real. And if you've been looking at the chart of the Brazilian real, we spent a lot of time between 17 and 18, and and all of a sudden we've had this surge to 20 cents um, mark. And if we break above 20 on the Brazilian real, you know, that would be a breakout. You know, that would be a bullish breakout. That would be a bottoming formation. And, you know, you, you put a correlation chart of the Brazilian real against corn or soybeans, you know, it's very, very high correlation. So we think that the, the coffee market is starting to turn up 
could be an indication that the Brazil Royale, after a long period of bear of bearish action, might finally be ready to turn up. And you know that could be a really uh, a really positive, you know, bullish tailwind for the first half of 21. If that proves out, so we would be watching that 20 resistance level for a breakout if it were to occur. Um, it could really set off a different tone for grain markets beyond just weather. It could be a we could get we could get a currency related um, impact here in the first half of the year that we have not had going for us, Casey, in a very long time with the Brazil Real. It's been a negative for a very long time. So so it's interesting, uh, you know, that the coffee market is starting to show these bullish signs. Obviously, there's been some dry weather um, in, in in central Brazil, and there's uh, you know crop problems that have been surfacing, but. Um, you know, coffee has a history of only rallying big time when the real is ready to rally. So it's an interesting market to watch for that reason, especially if you're a grain market. If you're a grain market person, if you're a producer of, of grain, you should watch coffee because it's an it's a great great indicator for the Brazilian real. So okay, right on. All right, the second thing that I'm uh, haven't had a chance to listen to yet, but I'm going to listen to it today. You have a 20 minute podcast out there talking about uh, the winter kill risks on um, the what we see happening as far as weather change starting in January, where there could be some significantly colder weather um, than what we've seen in the past out here. I mean, I tell you what, it, two days ago, we're getting some snow today because I don't live in Florida. We get snow. You guys get snow in Florida, Sean? Sure. Sure? Yeah, okay. Well, sure. when, that, when the ice rinks, you mm-hmm. know, do do the Zamb- Zamboni, yeah. and they got to jump the ice outside. Yeah, is that the snow globe when you shake it? That's the snow you get in Florida. Yeah, that's, that's the snow. I mean, we play in the snow. <laughs> but anyway, so you got this thing coming out, and it, it's been it's been, re- I mean, record warm temperatures here. I mean, I'm talking two days ago it was 68 degrees here. I mean, which is highly unlikely for this time of year here. Um, but that being said, it is also 12 degrees outside right now. So I'll. I'm well, longing. you recall, Casey, yeah. that our forecast at the beginning of the year is that we would have a very warm fall. Yep. Very, very true. Late, a very late start to the winter. Yep. That's what a natural climate cycle algorithm is projecting. And we were, we were calling for a very good harvest season, mm-hmm. you know, bearish natural gas prices because of this warm weather. And so that, that is playing up. But, but we, we do believe that we're going to have we're, 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 this is not the big winter year. You know, we're going right. to have winters, it's going to be short. So I, I don't want anyone to, to get this concept that January is going to be like, you know, just buried with awful weather. But we do believe we're going to start to get some cooler air intrusions. And yep. so when we're dealing with winter kill risk, you know, we don't need 30 days of cold. We just need, you know, yeah. an evening that, an that evening, gets too yeah. cold yep. or two evenings that get too cold. And so we think the risks of these cold shots of air to come down into the southern plains uh, or into the Russian, you know, southern wheat belt, we think are increasing. Doesn't mean it will happen for sure, but we looked at a lot of things in that podcast that give us some confidence that we might be increasing the probabilities that we could get, you know, a shot or two of those cold air shots into the key winter wheat belts that could cause winter kill risk. And the thing is, this year, because it's been a dry winter, a lot of the uh, winter wheat belt is not covered by snowfall that it normally would be. Um, and because the crop didn't get established very well, and because the crop is in poorly rated condition, it makes it even more vulnerable to a winter kill risk actually doing irreparable damage. And so we would be looking for, you know, late December, you know, in that mid-late January timeframe as an increased risk for either area to possibly get a, a winter kill threat or a winter kill risk. And of course, 
uh, at a time when everyone's worried about the crop already, you know, that could really set the, the wheat market off onto, uh, you know, a pretty significant uh, weather spike trade, you know, mm-hmm. if, if it were to occur. So, um, wheat market has corrected, although it rallied here the last couple of days, but it you know, had a pretty good correction. So, you know, we're just saying that if you're on the buy side of wheat, you know, if, if you're someone that, uh, you know, needs to buy wheat or, you know, th- this would, you know, you, 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 look, hedging is risk management. You know, we just think that we would want to be protected to the upside in the month of January with what we're seeing. We think, you know, there could be, uh, you know, there could be something pretty wild that could happen here. And, 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 and one would not want to get caught if, if you need to buy physical cash. We just, just don't get caught not having some protection to the upside. We think this is a time to be managing that upside risk at this point. So we're, we're sufficiently concerned that we put out a podcast giving pl- everyone plenty of time, you know, meaning you know, weeks of time to prepare and look for corrections and look for opportunities to do this. Uh, because what, what happens with this kind of thing, Casey, you can't wait for the winnacle threat to be obvious because it's too late to do anything about it because the market's going to take off already. You have to see it coming in advance and make sure you're prepared for it before it actually gets there. So, the, so that's a market we'd be paying attention to. So. Good stuff, man. Well, Sean, just like this report, it's a good thing to have had those things out there at your fingertips. What's the best way for your, for our listeners here to, to get a hold of you and ask you these questions that, that, uh, that are on their mind? Well, I can always go to our website at hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com to look at all the things that we have on there. Of course, they can always shoot us an email too, like we did last week with uh, uh, the podcast. If they want to shoot us an email at Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at hackingadvisors.com and say, you know, they want to see this uh, winter wheat uh, podcast that we did on this winter kill risk. We'd be glad to send it to your listeners. Um, you know, we think it, it'd be a, a, a pretty timely podcast, for, especially for those that have an interest in the wheat market. So. Absolutely. Well, good deal, Sean. Thanks for being on the podcast. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you can find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, uh, the blog I'm getting ready to put out uh, that'll be out this weekend. Uh, also, go to movingironllc.com, and you can find the same information there. Where you can find the podcast. You can find all the blogs I've written. Uh, you can also find um, all the information about the Moving Iron Summit that got moved to uh, September 8, 15th through the 18th, Nashville, Tennessee. Same same location. Everything's the same. I'll have a, a new a new link to uh, book rooms and those kind of things there on the uh, on the setup page. Sean will be there, um, actually pretty timely when Sean's there because we'll be heading into that that big uh, big time front of that 21 uh, winter fall time frame. So uh, Sean Sean's speech will be uh, be right on point there. So if you're interested in, in more information about that, check that out or send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com and I can get you more information about that. So with that, I am Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here.